0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to another episode of Believe in the Press Row. A Monday morning as uh, the sports world has started to awake. We've had Major League Baseball this past weekend. Uh, Some news to talk about on that front. Hockey and basketball. Uh, Basketball has had some exhibition games. We talked about that as well. Hockey is about to start. I think all the teams are now in their respective bubbles, and uh, really happy to be talking to someone who's doing an incredible job right now. Talking about a massive development in the news coverage business, uh, Kevin McGrane of the Toronto Star. Kevin, how are you?
1: I'm excellent. Thanks for having me on. I love doing stuff like this.
0: Yeah, you know, I was looking this morning. Um, you don't have a you don't have a Wikipedia page. You should get your agent on that. Um, <laughs> I'm a Wikipedia editor. <laughs> wow! Well, for for Neil McNeil High School, really? Yeah. You've been uh, at the Toronto Star. It'll be, is it, twenty-two years this coming January?
1: Something like that. Yeah. According
0: to your according to your LinkedIn page, yeah, it'll be twenty-two be- years, which means that uh, Mitch Marner was two years old when you were starting. So. <laughs>
1: I was at the star as a Canadian press before that. So
0: yeah, I was just talking about, uh, you know, your, your experience at the star, like that is quite the feat in the modern era to be with one publication. Uh, as long as you have, especially when you consider, um, everything that's gone on in the media business in the last, you know, forget 18 months in the last, you know, couple of years.
1: Well, even for me, I've been the, the, sort of the chief hockey writer since 2006, so that puts me on about 15 years, I guess, 14, 15 seasons, and, uh, and that's the longest I've ever done one job in media. I've moved, I was sort of famous for always moving around, but once I got my teeth into covering Leafs and covering the NHL, I didn't really want to stop. So the only thing that'll stop me is the the shuttering of either the NHL or the newspaper. Guess which one's going to happen first?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny. Like, ordinarily, it's uh, July 28th, I believe, today. 27th, I did not want to get ahead of myself. July 27th. Ordinarily, I imagine you'd be hoping to be at somebody's cottage with your feet kicked up. You would have gone through the playoffs, the draft, a free agent period. And, you know, there may or may not be the odd story here or there, something to, to cover. Hell, you, you might actually just be covering the, the crazy story out of Arizona this past weekend. But other than that, like, ordinarily, you'd be pretty quiet, resting up, getting ready to do a, uh, a training camp at, you know, mid to late August. Well, right about now would probably be Mitch
1: Marner's uh, assist fund night. And I think we probably just would have passed Dominic Moore's ping pong tournament. But even th- even though I uh, would normally take from July third off until Labor Day, and I would just shut her down. I get that's loaded my vacation, my time owing, whatever else I have to do to convince everybody not to call me, and I would leave all those matters to uh, the other. Other writers or the wire services or whatever, and I would be I would be gone. I would be probably this year. I would have been in Ireland right now. My family there has uh, rents a, a cottage in the uh, in the wilds of West Cork, and uh, sounds awful. It, it's uh, <laughs> it's uh, lovely. It's a community of maybe thirty homes, one grocer, and two pubs, and that's and, that.
0: Instead, you're. Wishing people were calling you right now, right? Like, the more the better.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been funny. So, you know, when COVID struck and all of sports shut down and I, uh, I was drafted by the newsroom into COVID coverage and then I felt like a real reporter again, phoning people and waiting for people to return my calls and writing stories and, and all of this. It wasn't, a, it wasn't nearly the structured day of the sports world where, you know, they're on the ice at 10, they're off at 11, you talk by 11.30. You write your story by one, and then there's a game that night, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, it, it's been uh, it's been it's been different. You know, those couple of months post pause were quite different, quite remind uh, mindful of of um, of the work that uh, I guess real journalists, not those of us in the toy department, what they do.
0: <laughs> so, are you from the GTA originally? Yeah, born and raised Scarborough. And went to Western? Yeah. And one of the few, I think, in the toy business, as you just called it, who has a master's in journalism. Do you actually know what you're doing? <laughs> well, I, 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 I'm able to trick people into thinking that I know what I know. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, like, it's really changed. And you kind of alluded to it before, but, like, until the newspaper business goes out of business. But your outlet's done a pretty good job pivoting into the digital world. I mean, once the iPad thing was kind of... Taken care of. Um, That's a shame. I loved the
1: iPad thing. I absolutely loved everything we did about it, except how badly we pulled it off. The the from the look and the feel and the touch and all of that, it was great. But uh, we made a number of uh, mistakes with the rollout and that sort of thing. So it ended so, up being a disaster.
0: So, as a vet of the business, very broad question here. Like, where do you think things are going? Like, I ask radio people all the time. Like, do you think my, you know, my kids, kids, God help me, my grandkids, um, will be listening to sports radio. And I think we all agree that people do like talking about sports and I still enjoy reading content, uh, written content on sports. Um, whether it be from your, your paper, other papers, you know, but I have a habit every, every, you know, every night before I go to bed, there's five or six publications that I check just because I'm usually on the West coast. And, uh, I got a preview of what's coming the next morning. Um, but you know, now my, my, my funnel, the top of my funnel is Twitter and I no it is like, I see what people post, click on the link, read it. Um, gives me lots of ideas, keeps me in touch. So I'm optimistic that, uh, well, I don't think people are going to be buying the physical paper a whole month, a whole lot longer. Um, there will continue to be newspapers, if you will, or media companies. What's your take?
1: Oh, I agree with you completely. I think uh, there'll be smaller ones. Like I think, I think all of the newspapers in Canada will get smaller. I think the star will get smaller. It'll get more nimble. Um, it'll be able to react quicker. The legacy, the legacy, you know when you talk about legacy industries the media is i think one of the last ones to really pivot to the digital world or the new realities and things like that i think it will it it will continue to exist and then there will be other avenues of storytelling that will pop up you know as storytellers get laid off or whatever it is they will form their own what do i really like to tell stories about and you see it all the time with hockey writers the hockey writers that get laid off start up things and you know um and become hockey writers you know web writers and with subscribers or or however they're going to do it but you'll see it across the board right you'll see you'll see people uh, you know like candleland is one of them and and blog to is one of them and there are people that are concentrating on real estate and there'll be people you know sort of hyper local and then when you talk about talk radio we might not have talk radio like the fan and TSN and radio but we will have people like you people doing t- podcasts right all those podcasts everybody will hive off into podcasts so it might become um there might be more but all smaller versions of what was out there and people will find their own level what they like
0: yeah it's uh it's fascinating to watch i, I much if you saw i posted on twitter but i'm up in barry and my mom sent me I was out running errands. and she said, will you pick me up the other daily newspaper in Toronto? Um, she goes, will you pick me up a Globe and Mail? I said, yeah, no problem. I walk into the local drugstore and said, can I have a Globe and Mail? And the lady rang it up and it was 425 oh, I or something. And I, literally, my jaw just dropped. I was right. totally unprepared. First of all, I can't tell you the last time I bought a physical newspaper, but... Uh, like I said, I just read everything online. And then when I travel, if you remember what travel is, um, there used to be a hotel, you know, newspapers in the hotel. But other than that, um, I can't see that continuing all that much longer. Like, I can't see my kids ever buying a newspaper, but reading online. Yeah. I don't think that's going anywhere.
1: Yeah. I think we all like to hear stories. We'll find the people via Twitter or Facebook that, that resonate with us and we'll click on those stories and click on those websites and, And if there's a, if there's a gap in coverage, somebody will fill it somehow.
0: So let's pivot on that. You know, listen, like the leagues themselves, and you and I were briefly talking about this on Swakbox this morning from CNBC, they were commenting or lamenting the fact that cord cutting during the pandemic has, uh, it's hard to imagine it could explode, but it has exploded again. Um, massive numbers of people cutting their cable bills or eliminating them with all kinds of different options and opportunities available to them. Um, So it's hard for me to fathom. They're saying the one thing that's keeping people tied to cable is sports. As we said, you know, baseball started this past weekend. The NBA had a couple of uh, exhibition games um, or scrimmages, I think they're being called and the NHL is about to start. So I can't imagine for the life of me, any league in this era is going to do anything to hamper interest in their game. And yet here we are with the NHL and you've been leading the recent, uh, I'm not going to say fight, but let's call it light on um, what certainly seems like an attempt to control the discussion.
1: Yeah. um, They have, so just to go right back to square one, basically to starting today, now that everybody's in their hubs, um, nobody in the media is allowed to see the practices or the morning skates. And as far as the games go, it is um, at least in the early going, it is one person per media outlet per game. Um, So for that, You know, the Toronto Maple Leafs are in the playoffs. The Toronto Star cares. The Toronto Sun cares. The Globe and Mail will even care. So the Star would have normally four, maybe five, (laughs) maybe even six people at the game. We have to fight amongst ourselves to see which one of us it will be. And we can't even send a photographer. The Globe would have at least 2 they We'll have only one. The Sun would probably also have four or five. and, And goodness knows the Athletic would probably want eight. Um, and they can only have one. So it's, it's uh, you know, the NHL will tell us that that's all about safety. Um, I call bullshit on that. Um, and the other thing is um, the NHL itself decided to put three of its own media people inside the bubble so that they can have access to the practices, the morning skates and the games. So from that perspective, it looks pretty shady to me. It looks like the NHL is being very small minded. And I, I personally, I mean, I can accept limitations through COVID quite obviously. I'm just fearful that the NHL will um, uh, get kind of used to these uh, limitations and kind of like them and will be, to go back to normal when normal is possible will be much more difficult.
0: In my humble opinion, the best parts of the Michael Jordan incredible documentary that came out six years ago, I mean, a couple of months ago, it feels like six years ago, um, were the behind the scenes footage that we've never seen before. Right. Um, That's what we crave. I mean, the games are the games, and yes, they're entertaining, but what makes in my opinion, sports really interesting is the story behind the story and the, the leagues, you know, Bob McCowan, um, without knowing about Corona was on the air years ago, talking about the fact that eventually sports would be fanless from a live perspective and everyone would be watching in a different medium. And the challenge would be, how do you make coverage more interesting? And it seems to me that muting the storytellers, if you will, is completely opposite of what they should be doing right now.
1: Yeah. And to get to your point about behind the scenes, uh, it's, it's incredibly more difficult, even in before COVID to get behind the scenes. Uh, When I started um, it was fairly common at the very end of the season to Get everybody's phone number for the summer. Yep. Um, and now, that's a no-no. You have your credential pulled if you ask a player for a phone number. Um, you, when they call you, uh, it's always through the PR person. So it's not like you can even save their number if they do. If you do end up on the phone with them, um, when I covered games, I'm lucky enough to have covered games at Maple Leaf Gardens, <clears throat> and there was one door in and out of of the dressing room yep when the media went in there like the players were in there the only way out was through the front door um there was no so that was behind the dressing room was behind the scenes the new stadiums like the uh, the uh, scotia bank arena there is the we're, we're no longer there's there's a behind the scenes that we're not allowed there's Exercise facilities, shower facilities, the change, the actual place where they change, not just put on their equipment. There's a whole, there's a dining area. There's a whole bunch of behind the scenes that were cut off from us, you know, 20 years ago, I guess. Um, so the the small bits of color um, that you could get in scenarios where you are with a player who's sweating while well taking off his gear, um, those are gone, and uh, now I think even the the bits, you know. Where it's in, in the dressing room the dressing room is now just like a photo opportunity now there's there's nothing really in there um certainly not like it was it, you know after practices it can be you know a parade of players it can actually be pretty good there more like the old times but but for the most part after games the the the, uh, uh, the dressing room is kind of a just a prop for the cameras
0: so again, um, you know, pause that for, it, it comes to mind that I, and I know this for a fact from my own personal experience in writing my blog. Um, the only thing worse than writing something negative about somebody is not writing about somebody at all. Um, so these guys don't want people not covering them. They don't want you not writing about them. That's the worst thing that could possibly happen. Despite the fact that nobody reads or listens, we know they all read and listen and watch. (laughs) So, how do those two things mesh together?
1: Yeah, it's fascinating. I, uh, you know, we in the media have to find new and interesting ways to get to the stories and we're going through that right now. Like, I can tell you the metrics at at our place that Toronto Star readers really don't care about what happens on the zoom calls stories generated from those interviews over COVID did nothing. They did not move the needle in terms of readership at all. Right. Um, stories that are opinionated. They do. Of course. So I think you'll see more diverse opinion stories on uh, well, news always, always moves the needle. Um, I th- Stories that are, they, that can really and truly get behind the scenes or about people that you haven't heard of that are playing a big, big role with the team, um, those move the needle. Those are interesting stories. Um, But the the day-to-day grind, they in themselves don't move the needle, but they're kind of necessary to pick up on the ideas of the, the bigger story that you need right because you got to really listen right so you maybe you talk to a player who's rehabbing and they drop a name then you realize that name is really important because you heard it before with somebody else so now you got to go back figure out who this mysterious physical trainer is and then maybe you've got a behind the scenes story so you you need the level of access you need to be on these stories that don't really move the needle from an interest point of view to find the stories that will move the needle from an interest point of view or to have an opinion uh, that will move the needle from an interest point of view.
0: Yeah. I I fully subscribe to the fact two notions, one, um, those of you bemoaning the lack of access are not doing it because you love being rink rats. Like you're not jock sniffers. No. You're storytellers and you're trying to continue to create a product that there is a massive appetite for. And those who are laughing or uh, making light of the fact that you guys are, guys and gals, are complaining about lack of access, just can't, they're not connecting dots. They don't understand that, you know, in my lifetime, I remember vividly Mitch Album being suspended like the mitch album being suspended for filing a story for a game that he wasn't at and that being like blasphemy <laughs> um in order for us to get the content that we want that moves the metrics that you speak of unfortunately for you you got to be there like 24 7 right you need to be able to know right. what what a guy or what a player looks like on a normal day to know what they look like on a non-normal day or That's a a very good point. You need to see practice every day to know what a normal practice looks like to understand what a abnormal practice looks like. Or, you know, if the Leafs lose, I mean, I can't imagine this ever happening, but they lose a bad game where a Zamboni driver ends up beating them in net. Couldn't
1: possibly happen.
0: No, but you guys need to be there because we want to know what the bag skate looks like the next day, and if you don't. And if you don't have the context of a regular practice, how are you going to present that?
1: Right. Plus the fact that hey, that's the Zamboni driver from the from the hey, wait a minute, I I I've seen him right. Like there's 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 small things there from being around that you can pick up on and write stories about, and and like the the day to day where you know the answers are we got to get pucks deep and that kind of stuff. You roll your eyes at that, and that's. That's a lot of coverage, unfortunately, but it's not the, co- I'm not lamenting losing that. I'm lamenting losing what th- the threads that come from that.
0: Right. And you don't, so it's just, okay. So I have two thoughts that let, let's drive down this path just a little bit. One, why do you think this is happening?
1: Uh, I think it's kind of happening because there's, they don't care. They honestly don't care about independent media. I think their head is their their heads were probably in a good place for safety and keeping numbers low. But if safety is really really what they're after, then do you need 32 cameramen? Right? Could you not do 24? And there's and there's eight spots. You know, like there if safety was really what it's all about, do you need all the social media people, one per team? Okay, like, so they, they've, they've allowed for certain media to to enter but not the media that can really get to them. I don't, I don't think they're being mean-spirited. I think they're being small-minded. I don't think they're seeing a bigger picture.
0: So is it small-minded or opportunistic?
1: Well, it could be both. Like there could be people, voices within the room making these, these calls that see it both ways and they're, they're allies, right? One, one, one doesn't think it's a big deal and the other one realizes it is and uh, doesn't say anything. I, I I just, like the media, I mean, the rights holders aren't going in either, right? Their reporters aren't, aren't able to go in. So they were really sort of consistent at keeping everybody out. I think they fear criticism. I think they fear... Um, <laughs> Uh, that's the they I, they fear criticism. They fear us finding out something about COVID, a protocol that wasn't followed, and writing it. And uh, honestly, like,
0: because that's not going to get out.
1: Yeah, <laughs> players taking Instagram photographs of themselves and, and posting them. Yeah, um, yeah. I think they they just fear that. And and hockey is different that way. The the players have grown up in a bubble themselves protected from all this business certainly um just the way the arenas are built i maybe they don't want to be around the great unwashed media maybe they just didn't want to like three months of hanging out with uh with us they didn't want to have to do that (laughs) you know and in, in my case i'm not even asking like i've asked for like three days let me live inside the bubble for three days and i'll write about it which strikes me as a really good story. People, something people would read, even if life is so mundane. Um, I mean, that—that's telling.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Listen, like some NBA player tweeted a picture of the meal that got delivered to his room, and it's you know, like it looked like the stuff that you think they send up to astronauts, right? Like, <laughs> like there's no way this is going to last. And of course, like the next next morning, one of the players crossed a parking lot to get his. Burritos order and ended up, you know, in the uh, in the bubble penalty box for a couple of days. Those yeah. are the stories that people want to know. Yeah, um, you know, Drake or somebody posting pictures of candles that Drake sent to the NBA players is a good story right now. Like it's just, you know, it it it's, it drives eyeballs, it drives readership, it moves metrics. Um, I'd like to think that somebody somewhere isn't saying how do we limit exposure to the media but do you think that's really what's happening
1: I think there I think it's probably how do we limit bad stories coming out that's pro if, if there's a motivation that I'm fearful of that's the one how do we hide from the from the covid pandemic
0: are there um, NBA do you have NBA writers currently in the NBA in the NBA bubble
1: not yet. We'll go in, uh, if the Raptors win the, uh, get to the second round
0: and it's expensive, right? Like yeah. really expensive.
1: Yeah. Well, we saved a ton
0: of money on travel this spring. Right. Um, and summer. Um, yeah, it it's hard to believe. I mean, so here's my second question. Uh, going to shift here a little bit. So Steve Simmons, um, although you're in different outlets, I'm going to call you a colleague because you're both veteran scribes, um, writes a story that Austin Matthews has COVID. Right. Most of the mainstream media ignored that. Thoughts?
1: Well, I followed it up. Yep. Um,
0: That's why I said most, not all.
1: Right. And uh, I believe the Canadian press also picked up on it. So this is kind of a weird one. Um, TSN and Sportsnet, I called them. Uh, TSN said its policy was not to report COVID positives. And Sportsnet said its policy was, it was the same. If, If they had it sourced, they could do whatever they, like if it was properly sourced, they could report it. The issue was that, the players, for whatever reason, now they cared about their health being private. Everything else, their contracts, everything else that ever happened to them, they never raised, raised an issue about privacy. But for some reason, they, they worried about COVID. And I guess at the time they raised this issue, there was a big, um, I don't know, it was, it was a stigma attached to it. I don't think there ought to be. It's essentially how do you like you get the you get the flu? You don't have a stigma to it. I thought it was ridiculous, but the, it did matter to the players. So in the long, elongated contract talks to bring the players back and part of the CBA, I mean, I think the, the actual league and Donald Beer did an amazing job putting all this together through COVID. The part of it was the players wanted privacy regarding COVID. It was an easy gift for the league to give, and then. You know the rights holders sort of fell in line because some of the guys, some of the some of the insiders, they didn't really even want to get involved in COVID coverage, so they were staying out of it. Uh, and I think for the corporations, TSN and Sportsnet, and probably NBC, just it was just a matter of doing business to make sure hockey comes back. They don't want to upset the apple cart. Um, so I, I think there was a, an alignment of. Let's get hockey back and we can – if a player wants to say he's got COVID, then that's one thing, but we're not going to use our resources to out a player and jeopardize this whole return to play.
0: All right, hold that thought. Take a deep breath. Uh, We are going to start traveling again and sleeping in other places, but for right now we're staying at home and sleep is critical. Sleep envies more than a mattress. Customize your mattress by taking the one-minute quiz – Ships in a box right to your door, try it for a hundred nights in the comfort of your own home. Shipping is always free. If you're not satisfied, they pick it up and refund you. Use press row at checkout to get, wow, 25% off. And right now 10% of sales are going to feed the hungry during the Corona epidemic. Go to sleepnv.com and enter the code press at checkout for 25% off your purchase price. Um, so, so that would all, everything you just said would all be fine and good. But the story was out there, like, and it wasn't me that broke it. It was a really well-known, well-respected—whether he's well-liked or not, I guess depends on your your taste profile. But whatever, like, nobody thinks that Steve Simmons writes articles that are bullshit. So he's got, you know, he's got credibility. So he goes out there, he writes the story. Multiple writers, uh, including yourself, I believe comment on it, retweet it, make note of it on social media. He ends up on TSN radio, and they discuss it in a segment. And then he gets off there, and there's a segment about an hour later where they discuss the interview with Steve Simmons, discussing the fact that uh, Austin Matthews, like, this is a big news story. Right. It's huge. I mean, considering what what COVID is, I mean, I think
1: any athlete gets it. Um, It could affect – his future. I mean, you don't know at the moment how badly it is. And honestly, we don't know, is there a relapse? Like who, we don't know anything about it, which is why I think reporting about it is so important to get people, help people get through what we're going through. So yeah, it was, it was gargantuan. It was a gargantuan story and they ignored it. And they they scrubbed it too. They, They scrubbed that interview from their website.
0: 24 hours later, it came back. Uh, They did bring it back on the website. Um, But here's what bothers me more than anything is that he shows up for training camp and he now announces or confirms that in fact he did test positive. Right. And at least two publications and our authors um, celebrated that. And that now he's the reluctant face of COVID and he should be applauded for disclosing the fact that he had it. Like I wanted to barf all over my screen when I read the, those types of columns. And there's two that I know of for sure. And I don't read all of them, but I just, the audacity for people to be like, Oh my God, how great he can now be the poster boy for getting through Corona. Like that's a joke. Like that's literally a joke.
1: Well, I, I mean, I, I don't hold anything against Austin Matthews. for No, any
0: of it. no, no, no. This is, it just, it just, it, it really bothered me that all of a sudden people were saying, I, I have a bigger issue with the scribes who wrote the story after he announced it. Like, it was old news. Like, he, he, okay, he admitted it, but it wasn't like all of a sudden good on him for admitting it. It was old. It was old news already. Yeah. Well, to me, the news was that he was over it. Right. Right. But he's he thought- like, he didn't become... A COVID, like he didn't walk up to a microphone and say, hey, I tested positive. I'm not really sure how I got it, but I think this is what I did. Uh, In retrospect, that was dumb. And here's why that was dumb. Happy to report that I had very few effects. It didn't affect me, but you know what? It could affect you. So don't be dumb like I was and don't do the things that I did. And it's really important to wear a mask and wash your hands. Like he could have done those things. He chose not to, that's his right. But don't go celebrating the fact but Austin company. didn't
1: ask to be celebrated like that. Oh, that was great. some of the media outlets. I'm, I'm not aware of the ones that you're talking about. So I'm, I'm sort of speaking in the dark here. So yeah, he's not, he's no poster boy for it, but he's not, you know, he's whatever. The media, you know, they'll, they'll however they want to approach the story is entirely up to them. And I'll agree with you that that's sort of beyond, I don't know, that's a little bit jock sniffing us there. Like the celebrated guy for doing something he never quite actually did.
0: So I'm going to use a different word as opposed to the O word, the dreaded O word and say, as an experienced, you, I put you in the camp of experienced journalists. Um, There seems to be a divide between let's call the less experienced, dare I say younger, um, as opposed to that nasty O word. um, People who cover the who cover sports just in, in how they write the philosophy and certainly in the audience, how striking is that to you being in the business day to day? Because, you know, it used to be very apparent in my mind that there was a difference between the young up and coming, dare I say, analytics geeks, as they were referred to, and the older, oh, there it is, the nasty old word, and the the scribes that used to walk around with a notepad and actually do interviews and really talk about you know, the importance of getting into the corners and, and doing the grit work, like that used to be the designation. Do you think things have changed with the less experienced and the more experienced scribes now?
1: Um, that's an interesting question. I, I haven't really thought of it in a youth versus age or I sort of look at it like um, the younger guys are bringing a different sentiment and they're probably bringing a younger audience. And so they are writing, you know, whatever's gotten them this far has worked and yeah. they've developed their own audience and they're giving that audience what they want. The The case in point is, is James Myrtle. He is, and I don't know that I would necessarily call him he's younger than me, but I wouldn't necessarily call him the younger. No,
0: I wasn't going young. I was going with just less experience and that's not so a bad thing. It's just fact.
1: Myrtle, Myrtle to me is one of, his writing is absolutely terrific. He's yep. got a lovely prose to it. Um, but early in his career, he was heavy on the analytics. And that in, its, in and of itself developed an audience. Yep. Writing about numbers does nothing for me. I follow them. I know them. I get them. I use them. I, but they are not. I don't show my math. Myrtle did. And he developed an audience because of it. For my money, it's like James. Don't show your math. Just write. Just write really good stories. And he's so he's he is a very very graceful writer. But start showing me numbers, and I'm gonna turn the page or, or yeah, think yeah. something else. Uh, but that's that's got its own audience. Yep. And people love it. And bless them for it. Right? They revolutionized how how we cover the game. Um. And they've given us really more tools to tell a story with. So I'm good with that. Like, that's fine. That's fine. Um, the other, the younger guys, I will always say that if I read what I wrote when I started 25 years, 30 years ago, I probably wouldn't like it. (laughs) And I, I consider myself a pretty good writer all my life, but I think if I look back, I'd wonder what was I thinking when I put those words together like that. Um, so there's there's a i don't I don't necessarily see it in, so the young writers will come in and they'll always sound brash and cocky, and they'll always sound like you know the older writers will always say, "You know you haven't paid your dues, you haven't been here, you haven't been there." And to a certain degree there's a um, you know there was a hierarchy at newspapers for years. That younger writers, they just jump right into the, to the top beats now. But that's because of the size of the newspapers. I mean, at, in the Toronto Star sports section, you started covering high school sports. Then you moved to university sports. Then you might move to um, um, auto racing or or uh, curling. Right. We don't cover any of those, right? right. Like, if you're going to start at the Toronto Star, you're going to, like, can you cover basketball, baseball, or hockey? Right. You move right into the top beat. So there's, you know, you don't cold, resu- you don't have a a, 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 great group of, um, um, like I'm sort of, uh, the brilliance of, of some writers is that they came out of covering say junior hockey. Yep. And then they, graduate to covering the NHL, but all the people they covered in junior have moved to the NHL. So they've got ready sources, ready to go. So sometimes for younger writers, because you're jumping right into the fray, you don't have the resources. So the the contacts, uh, that can be a bit intimidating. And so you write in a different way and you look at numbers rather than personalities. I'm babbling.
0: Most people are surprised to know that, the scribes who cover the game although they work for different outlets uh because back in the day spent you know used to spend so much time at rinks and especially on the road um become friends um is i know that still happens um is there a divide you think between the younger crew and the older crew back, <laughs> back when you were traveling
1: uh yeah there's a divide um the younger crew are weirdly all very good young men and women who make sure they um get to bed on time and have a nice meal and have a a dinner at five and and bed by 10 and the older guys are like (laughs) what are you doing your mother's not watching yeah so the old there tends to be a divide among the older crew that uh dinners will start a bit later and uh a pub or some sort of tavern will be like we don't have anywhere to you know I would often say we don't have anywhere to be until seven thirty tomorrow night. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in the grand scheme of things, you don't always I mean I never really did skip a morning skate, but you don't actually have to be at the right. morning skate. There's not you know, a rule. You know, there's not a rule. You cover what you cover. It's like you've got stories, you can write them. Um, one of the great things I, I do remember this. Um, I was in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. The Leafs were going to play the, uh, the Hurricanes. I was with uh, Jeff Blair and Mike Zeisberger, and we were doing. We had a, a really nice dinner, some some barbecue that Zeis had found, and then we went to a little Irish pub that I had found, and then uh, Blair wanted to go to this uh, music place
0: uh-huh.
1: um, called the Foundation. While we were on the way to the foundation, the the bourbon, where Junior Johnson Moonshine was on was on call, we got an email from the Maple Leafs. This is like two thousand six or seven, that the morning skate had been cancelled. Oh god. (laughs) 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 We don't have anything to do for another twenty four (laughs) hours.
0: Thank God for Uber.
1: Oh, that was all. I always get a, a nice hotel uh, within walking distance of, of pretty much everything. Right. So I don't have to worry about driving.
0: So let's talk about the craziness in, uh, in Phoenix this weekend. Like the GM. I can barely
1: understand it.
0: The GM. Well, what I don't, here's what I don't understand. Like I've, I've read Elliot Friedman's really good account of it. And then I've read like, I'm not going to, you know, there's a, a different story kind of in the athletic by somebody whose name escapes me right now that basically says, no, that's not what, I know that's the story that's out there. That's not what happened. But by all accounts, the guy gets, the owner gets a call from another owner saying, I want to poach your guy for a role that doesn't include the GM title, but something bigger and is told no, and then persists. And then it gets very fuzzy as to whether he ever actually agreed or didn't. Elliot says he did. This other person says, the owner says he never agreed. Lo and behold, they have a discussion, a monstrous offer is put in front of this guy, including some type of ownership or involvement in other leagues, other teams. But it doesn't say that he ever said yes or signed a contract. The next thing we know, the guy quits and a whole lot of mud is being slung. And now the commissioner has to come in and arbitrate.
1: I, I've never seen a uh, a press release like the one the Coyotes put <laughs> up, right, where it's like they call him a quitter and they like disappointed in him. Um, I know John a little bit, and doesn't strike me that that's what he's about. So um I mean, you I want to talk about since. you want to write
0: a document with the intent to uh, smear
1: him forever. Yeah especially in hockey, like call someone a quitter in sports. That's, that's a
0: blasphemy. That's
1: a, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird one. Um, obviously there are going to be three sides to that story, right? There's yep. going to be the Arizona ownership, John's story, and whoever was trying to poach him. They'll all have variations and they'll all want to paint themselves in the best possible light. So it'll be an interesting one to, uh, when the, uh, and we finally find out exactly what happened.
0: So you have, so you have no insight for it, no greater insight um, for it. I have no greater insight than that.
1: Trust me, I've tried, but hub cities is keeping me kind of busy right now and the Leafs okay. are getting ready to play. So, um, again, for Toronto star coverage, the Leafs matter. It's almost as if the other 30 teams don't count. Well, 29, the Montreal Canadians count. That's
0: about it. So they're about to start. They play tomorrow night against Montreal, I believe. Tomorrow night, Montreal Canadians Maple Leafs will meet
1: in July, I think for the first time in history.
0: What are you looking for?
1: Um, I guess I'm looking mostly to see how good Austin Matthews looks. Okay. I I would pin their hopes on his ability to dominate a game. I not the goalie as number two is Freddie Anderson. and. Um, what I've, I've looked at the math, and uh, th- this is basically starting from a dead stop, right? Yeah, yeah. Austin Matthews, in October, he's a killer. Nine goals in five games, four goals in one game. You know, he, he he, just kills the opposition if you're not ready. He is, he is ready to go at the drop of the puck in October, so I trust that he will be ready to go at the drop of the puck August 2nd. Freddie, on the other hand, he's a slow starter. <laughs> So and he, I don't think if he gets four days off, he's pretty pretty. He, he, once he builds up his resume, he's he gets going. So the question is, can Austin outscore what Freddie's going to let in? And then of course, I'm curious at the very very bottom of the lineup: Is this uh, Nick Robertson actually going to make it? Is he Damn. actually going to play? And I think Yonson is probably closer than they've been letting on. So they might have as healthy a lineup as possible.
0: I'm assuming that you subscribe to the fact that Sheldon Keefe is a good coach. I do, yeah. And this is a little like I don't mean to, but this is a little bit like giving Bill Belichick that extra week to prepare for Super Bowl. And I'm not dumb enough to call Sheldon Keefe Bill Belichick. Um, but my point is he's had how many weeks now to prepare for three games? I mean yeah, but so is John Tortorella. No, 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 right? no. And I'd say that, I agree, you know, agree, in the
1: coaching matchup going in to a, a a short little thing, you'd probably want Tortorella on your side, not a rookie.
0: Agreed. But I think you would also agree that leading up to the dismissal of uh, the Mike Babcock, one would believe, just based on what we know about the relationship between Kyle Dubas and Sheldon, that he wasn't completely caught by surprise when he got the phone call and said, you're coming up to the big team, but still he didn't have months off. He didn't have his own training camp. Uh, He didn't have to prepare. He had to prepare for an entire second half, not for a three game series. So I would like to think that, yes, there's another coach and a really good coach and a Stanley cup winning coach who equally has that, but let's just deal with Sheldon Keith. Um, Is this not, in some ways, a gift to him? Because he is getting a training camp. Everybody is healthy. Um, I I put a lot of focus on him right now.
1: Um, You're absolutely correct. And I think what we saw in practice, because we could see the practice, Mm -hmm. some of the tactics he's going to use, and that includes putting Tavares with Matthews and, and Marner in certain moments. I think you're going to see that, End of the first period. End of the second period. If, if they need a goal, you'll see it coming out of a penalty kill. You'll see those three guys go out together to try to turn momentum immediately. Um, uh, so I think he's got he's got a plan of, of how he intends to use players, and he's practiced them in those in those situations. Like his 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 training camp was interesting on on so many levels because um, you would see. You know, normally you would see once lines got together, they would be together because you knew they would start the season that way and they could make changes as they went along. Uh, But he's going to have to be able to adjust on the fly. And so he put lines together, and then the next day it was a slightly different combination, Engvall on the fourth line, not the third line. Things that he's going to have to do if things aren't working out, make sure they know how to play with each other. He did a whole practice of an entire scrimmage with a power play played against the penalty kill. And it was two-minute penalties rotating. If they scored, then they'd start another two-minute penalty. And uh, instead of just, you know, they'll often just play, you know, Mm thirty or 45 seconds of it, he played an entire 30 minutes of power play against penalty kill to get them really used to the pace. I, I, I found his um, approach interesting. I'll be curious to see if in the training camp before next season, if it's, if some of the same ideas are used or whether this is just unique to the situation to get things going, ready to adjust on the fly from game one.
0: Yeah. I just meant that this is now his team, right? Like, Oh yeah, absolutely. It's his He team. had a lot of, um, although the team bounced back very quickly out of the gate when he took over for the excitement and what have you, it then went into that lull and then picked up, you know, it kind of, it, it, you know, it had that, uh, that heartbeat kind of look to it where things were up and down. He's had a lot of time to think about it. I would imagine that he and Kyle spent a lot of time together virtually over the shutdown, and there is a systematic game plan. I just think these guys are methodical. Uh, Not that others aren't, but I think these two guys are really methodical, and I think every minute of every practice has been well thought out and planned with a specific strategy behind it, and that this is now his team. When they break camp and they go in, not tonight, but when they go to play game one against Columbus, it's his team.
1: Yeah, and I'll be curious to see how different it looks and feels.
0: And And it could be very different, right?
1: I hope it's not too different because I think they were coming around pretty good there. Uh, They had their struggles, but I think that they were putting together a system you liked and now they have all the healthy players playing that system. They're no longer, you know, four guys from the Marlies on defense.
0: Yeah. I I don't think, yeah. I just think that he has a pretty good idea of his talent and what they're capable of and to design around that is a massive advantage right now.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. For a you. new
0: coach. Yeah, yeah. Uh, final question: This season is going to end. I don't think anybody is boldly predicting they're going to win the cup. Um, there's going to be change of some degree going into next season, in a couple of weeks, which is pretty hilarious. Um, they have serious money problems. It's hard to believe because the one problem they never have is money, but. They certainly have very significant cap issues. What do you think they do?
1: I, I, I'll disagree with you. I don't think they have serious cap issues. Oh, they okay. don't have cap issues for next season. They can Long-term. pretty much squeeze everybody in. I think a guy like Travis Dermott and Ilya Mikhaev are gonna feel a squeeze. They're gonna lose, they're gonna lose Tyson Barry, Cody CC, um for sure. All Maybe the fan Jay favorites. Dispensa. All the fan favorites. Right. So they're, they're gone. I don't think they were ever really coming back even in a non-COVID life. They were never really coming back. Kyle Clifford, he's probably gone. He's probably the one out of that group that they would have liked to have back. But I, unless he's willing to be squeezed for, for dollars, um, I don't think he's coming back. But that's it. That's the level of loss. And I think you'll see Rasmus Sandin come in for Tyson Berry. And I think you'll see Timothy Lilligren come in for Cody Ceci. And I don't think you, you necessarily lose a great deal, certainly not from structurally or defensively. Um, offensively, they, they got the Barbarov kid from Russia. They, they have, uh, have a few guys who will come in and fill in around the edges. But if you run the numbers on the cap-friendly armchair DM, you can make it work.
0: No, Myrtle did. You know, Myrtle did a very good, a long, uh, somewhat math involved, math involved article on that. Yeah. But Long term, after next season, or the coming season, it becomes a slightly. When different...
1: when Zach Hyman needs a raise, when Morgan Riley needs a raise, when you have to make a decision on on
0: uh, Freddie Steve Anderson,
1: Anderson that that becomes problematic. Then they are in serious. So we'll see if they start creating some space, so I would imagine I, like if, if they think Pierre Engvall is a third line center, then maybe they move Alex Kerfoot and save a couple of million. Uh, if they think uh, Nick Robertson has really got what it takes, then maybe they move Andreas Janssen and save 3 million. Like there are ways around the edges that they can do that. Phil Kessel will eventually come off the book, so that'll give 1.2 million. There are ways that they can get at it without tearing down the core. So I, the, the one that I would worry about most is, is I think I'd worry most about losing Morgan Rileys. I've got to figure out a way to keep that stalwart defenseman in there. Although it is kind of funny. Now you look at Jake Muzzin at five plus million and you wonder, huh, is that right. really money well spent now? Even Pierre even Engvall at 1.25 seems pretty pricey when you get a $700,000 guy to come in and maybe take those minutes. Right. So there's it, it. It does become interesting, but their problem is two Stanley Cup tournaments away, and, and they, they keep this core together for that long, which is actually pretty long. And who knows what happens this summer?
0: And you got if it, they win
1: the cup in that, they win the cup in that time. Doesn't it, matter. It doesn't matter. You can break up the team at that point. The fan base doesn't will matter. Right.
0: Yeah. Um. Not that it's likely, but if they get swept by Columbus, what's the effect of that?
1: Yeah, that's a good one. I I don't think I know. I think there's enough people that would say it's not a real Stanley Cup tournament, so it doesn't really count. I'm not among them. I think it will always matter with how they go out.
0: That's what I mean. But It's ugly. They go 0-3. Well, you
1: know, the Tampa Bay Lightning got swept by Columbus and they're back and no one's thinking that they're going to get swept again, right? So... You can you can overcome it. It becomes part of your DNA. It does become part of what you have to get over. Right. Um, but I don't think it. I don't think it changes much. It might change direction on the goaltender, for example. For it sure. It might change the direction on the blue line a little bit. Um, but I don't think it changes their overall philosophy on how to attack with the puck.
0: And it doesn't put significantly more pressure on Kyle Dubas, does it?
1: No, I think he's got he's got the entire Sheldon Keefe tenure to uh, make his point. I mean, this is what they've been building for the two of them together. So to cut it, I don't think you cut it too soon.
0: Well, I know this, I gotta believe, I don't know. I gotta believe that Ron Francis and the Seattle Kraken love the new CBA because their opportunity to land a lot of different type of talent just increased dramatically with a flatter decreasing cap. Yeah. A lot of teams up against that number. Yeah. Well, I would say have fun at the rink today, but um, you're going to be watching from afar like the rest of us. Uh, Please stay healthy and thank you for doing this. And hopefully we can do this again when uh, games are going on. All right. I appreciate you having me on. Keep fighting the good fight. Uh, There's (laughs) lots of us there who appreciate it.
1: Keep caring about media. I I care (laughs) for people that care about me. That's
0: great. Thank you. All right.